Meditation, once only the pastime of monks, lost hippies and cult members, has now well and truly hit the mainstream. Which is awesome, because meditation is fantastic and life-changing when done well, uh, and the more people that are becoming introspective and self-aware, the better the world becomes, and the better the lives of those people become. However, with this explosion of spiritual capitalism, there is, of course, endless amounts of uh, wannabe gurus out there peddling all sorts of waffling hippie bullshit, particularly the ones that I dislike the most are the ones where they talk about the universe and how much the universe cares about them. So, what I want to do in this video is debunk some of the myths around meditation to make this whole topic a bit more understandable and simplified. Because in my opinion, meditation is only really useful if it's practical. If it changes your life right now and continues to change your life for the better. I'm not really interested anymore in what happens after death or if I become an enlightened being. I used to care about that. But now, what I want to know is what are the tools that I can use and go about a normal life and be more at ease, more calm, more present uh, and living in more joy and flow. So, what I want to do today is uh, slash through some of the common misconceptions or myths around what is meditation, uh, who it's for, and how to apply it. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Number one, meditation is for spiritual or religious people. Now, the fact is that most meditation systems originated within a religious structure. So within, primarily within Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, although there are certainly meditation techniques from other traditions. And so even though technically Buddhism is not really classified as a religion because it doesn't believe in a deity, uh, although many Buddhists do believe that the Buddha is a god when he was just a man who was kick-ass at meditating, although the, the, these techniques originated within, within these disciplines, they are not necessarily needed to be connected to it. So with, with some meditation techniques, yes, they have a very specific religious connection. For example, if you're doing some higher forms of Tibetan Buddhist meditation, you may be imagining and trying to kind of manifest a goddess or a, a god and, and infusing them with your awareness and trying to do all sorts of essentially magical or um, alchemic processes, but within the structure of Buddhism, believing in certain uh, deities or aspects of the mind which are represented as, as deities. So this stuff certainly exists, and there are quite a lot of, you know, Western people who get involved in, deeply involved in a spiritual tradition, often rich Westerners who get into Tibetan Buddhism or into Tantric traditions or Kabbalic traditions and so on. And they get, you know, they have all the tankas on the wall and the Buddha statues and the incense and all the bells and whistles of that cultural aspect of the religion. But in my experience, because I, I hung around with a lot of those types of people th throughout the years, particularly when I was a hippie back in the day, I noticed that most of those people didn't do a whole lot of actual practice. Right, so some of them did, some of them were, were deeply immersed and they either became monks or nuns within a certain tradition, which is committing yourself totally to a tradition, which I, I dabbled in. I never became a disciple of a master, but I certainly went to you know, Shaolin Temple and Indian ashrams and, and lived the life of a, a monastic for a short period of time, for a month or so. And so there are certainly people who throw themselves deeply into a tradition and they, they identify with that and it becomes really powerful for them and then they follow the practices. So I, I certainly respect that kind of thing. I've seen people who, in, in China, when I was in Shaolin Temple, guys who were Spanish or from other parts of the world and, and lived there full time, had taken monastic vows, shaved their heads, burned the holes in their, on their scalp, uh, taken vows and were living that for life. Right? So that's a, that's a deep commitment to spirituality as a daily practice with a lifelong commitment. Now, 
for most people that is <laughs> not desirable, highly impractical, doesn't fit with the, having a job and having friends and getting laid and uh, being a person in the modern world throwing yourself deeply into one spiritual tradition. And it's completely unnecessary if what you're looking for is not a defining uh, identity, which I guess a lot of people are doing when they're searching for, when they join the Hare Krishnas or they join some Buddhist group or whatever, they're looking for a sense of community and identity and belonging as well as the actual spiritual practice itself. It's totally unnecessary to be part of these traditions. If you want to learn to meditate, it is a very practical and I would say scientific tool. The types of meditation that I'm interested in are not about transcendental states. It's not about bliss, it's not about turning yourself into a god or a goddess. It's not about really even what happens after you die and whether you're going to get reincarnated and are you getting good karma. To be a good meditator you don't need any of the paraphernalia. You don't need to have Buddha statues in your house. You, don't, you can be a Christian, you can be a fucking anarchist, you can be anything, There's no, there doesn't necessarily need to be an ideology uh, or a belief structure attached to meditation and that's why I was always attracted to it because I don't believe in things, I, don't, I really don't believe in anything, <laughs> I don't believe in any ideology, I don't believe that there is one right way to do things or one cultural uh, overlay that's going to suit everybody, I believe in practice, experimentation, seeing real results and adjusting those practices to deliver better results. And so if you want to learn to meditate, you just need to sit down or stand up, close your eyes and start to apply a basic meditation technique. I would recommend if, you, if you're not trying to become a spiritual person or you're not trying to join a tradition, that you stick to the simpler non-sectarian meditation systems, such as the ones that I teach in the martial meditation, things like breath awareness, body scanning, uh, abdominal breathing, embodiment exercises where you, where you combine your meditation, as in your focus, and your movement, your body, your breath. So you're combining all aspects of yourself into one to create some unity, to create some balance, to get out of the white noise and all the stress and anxiety that's going on inside your mind and to learn to chill out and investigate yourself at a deeper level. So in order to do that, you don't have to identify as spiritual at all. Most of the time those people make me sick because it's usually based around a sense of arrogance. It's actually like spiritual superiority. And I remember one of my best friends told me about a girlfriend he had who was very spiritual. And uh, there was a time when he was doing a lot of practice, like he was doing a lot of uh, yoga or meditation and, and he changed his diet or whatever. And, and then she one day said to him, hmm, I'm going to have to lift my game. You've become more spiritual than me lately. <laughs> like it was a competition where she, where she was like, well, he's doing four different spiritual things a day and I should do five because I'm spiritual. Right? And, and obviously there's a lot of ego attached to that, which is, the, which is quite ironic because ideally if you're a good meditator, your ego is dissolving. You're becoming way less attached to your ego, uh, way less attached to your identity and who you think you are and what people should think about you and so on. And you're becoming more at ease with yourself. Whereas, unfortunately, a lot of people use it to then identify as being more superior because they're more spiritual than their neighbor. So, that's myth number one. Don't need to be spiritual. Don't need to be religious. Don't need to believe in fuck all. You don't, do not need to believe in anything to meditate. You just take the tool, you apply it, and you see, does it work for you? Now, you do need to take time with it if you just meditate once. It's like going to the gym once. You probably won't get much result. It is something that you need to repeat daily or regularly because it's a practice that develops in depth and in efficacy but it's easy to verify that it does something right it's like where I've tried some traditions where I've like imagined uh, used a lot of imagination which I'll talk about in another one of the myths uh, and I didn't get much out of it I got a lot out of sitting observing breath body uh, mind uh, and learning to become self-aware and unreactive because those two things 
in my mind, are what make good meditation. Awareness and equanimity or objectivity, allowing things to move through you uh, without reacting to them because that's how we develop our most egotistical and destructive tendencies is because we feed patterns of behavior within our mind and emotional and physical structure every time the stimulus for reaction comes. So an example is if you get really angry when you're driving along and you're stuck in traffic, that's a thing that's happened, but the way you respond to it and react to it is different. Because some people will just like put on a podcast and like hum and wait for the traffic to change, and other people will be you know, reaching for their gun. <laughs> so if you want to change that behavior, that reactive behavior, then learning to be, be observant and unreactive is the way to go about it. So that's myth number one. Second myth about meditation is that the point of meditation is to empty your mind of thoughts. Right, so this is, this is a commonly held idea that to meditate, you need to stop thinking. Stop thinking. No, no, no. Don't think about stopping thinking. Stop thinking. No, no, now you're thinking about, thinking about stopping thinking instead of stopping thinking. No, no, stop thinking. Stop it. Don't, don't think. No, you did. Right? How, how hard is it to stop thinking, right? To, to like force an end to the flow of this lifelong stream of mostly nonsense that you've been ranting to yourself? Uh, this is not the aim of meditation. And it's a really very, very difficult thing to try and do. Now, if you deeply meditate, you may have experiences where for a moment, there's no thoughts or some moments. But usually, the moment you notice that, you're like, oh, I'm not thinking. Ah, oh, now I'm thinking again. <laughs> and so it's, it's something that may happen when your focus is directed. And, and we do experience this when you're in flow, right? So sometimes people who are doing intense physical activity or uh, extreme, sports or you know you're deeply in a, an intimate space with your lover or there's all sorts of things where you get into a flow and there may be periods where for some time there is no narrative running in your mind or, or very limited narrative where you are so present in that task or whatever it is that you're doing that you you don't have the narrative running cool that's that's lovely like that is a, one of the beautiful side effects or benefits of meditation is that sometimes you have these experiences where it's silent finally like because the truth is, most humans never experience silence. They may, there may not be noises coming in their ears, but there's still the chatter going on in their mind. So it is actually a really blissful uh, release to just have emptiness for a little while. However, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to maintain for, I don't know, longer than seconds. Right? If, you could, if you could spend an entire minute without a thought going through your mind, that would be pretty impressive. Or you're just like so dumb that you just don't have any thoughts, which would also be impressive. But the reality is, this is not your intention to try and force thoughts. In fact, trying to force anything is the antithesis of meditation, trying to force yourself to be in a, in a specific way. Now, there are differences between types of meditation, many differences. And I would say one of the major distinctions is there are meditation systems which are based on pure observation, as in it's simply witnessing. Right, and that's in, in the martial meditation method, I emphasize this type of meditation based on vipassana, insight, awareness, mindfulness type of meditation, where you simply observe things as they are, or as they appear to be anyway. Right, so you're not trying to affect anything, change anything, force anything. You're just sitting there, ideally with your back straight, and observing what is happening within this physical structure that you inhabit. So you're observing the feelings, the sensations, the actual physical sensations. You're observing the emotional responses. You're, you are observing the way thoughts move through your mind. Right? So there's a, this is where like, we start to look at how, how can we deal with thoughts. Because if you are sitting trying to meditate, but you're imagining things, right? and you're, you're, it doesn't matter what it is. You can imagine a Buddha. You can imagine anal sex. It doesn't matter what it is. It's still imagination. That is not meditation at all. Right? So there are 
and, and imagination is a fantastic thing and it's, a, it's a, an amazing thing to sit there and imagine things and out of that we can start manifesting realities because if we can't make something until we've imagined it uh, and being an imaginative person who can start to look at the world in uh, oblique ways or who can make connections that other people wouldn't make, uh, who can bring ideas out of what where someone would see something that's just mundane and pedestrian, you would see, oh, there's, I can imagine that this would be something else. So fostering imagination, creativity is awesome, but it is not meditation, not at all. So to meditate, as, as I said, there's different techniques, but the main techniques which I use are ones where I'm observing things and I'm not trying to affect change in them. Right? So that's where, where, where you may end up having space in your mind where you don't think as much, for sure. When I'm deeper in meditation or I'm doing more practice, there's much less of the ranting and raving going on. And more importantly, because it doesn't really matter if there is or there isn't, what's more important is that I'm not following it. Right? Because we have different ways that we can experience our thoughts. The most common way is to be inside the thought, looking out through the thought. It's like, it's like there's a little you inside your brain that is thinking this stuff and, you're, and you essentially think that that is you. Right? That that's like, okay, this is me talking to myself uh, and that's important and I'm with that. I'm deep inside that. I'm like, I'm blah, blah, blahing to myself. Now, when you're in that state, you are very unaware. You are very locked into your identity and your ego because you're just, you don't see any difference between the narrative in your mind and you. You think, my thoughts are me, right? they're an expression of me. Now they are an expression of you of course, but they're not you because they come, they do things and they leave. So did you leave with the thought? Where, where, is, the, where is the thought you had three days ago now? Is it still you? Are you if, you're not, if you haven't thought about it for a year, is it still part of you? So I think what's more important is to understand that all sorts of things pass through this structure that we're living within. Right, so all sorts of physical sensations. We know that you know, your cells are dividing and dying and being recreated and your entire body is being rebuilt over and over again. So there is no like permanent, this fingernail doesn't last for my lifetime, it gets replaced and changed. There is no permanency. There is no me that is like, okay, I can put this in a box and say that's me. There's this, there's this ongoing experience being rebuilt, dying and then re being rebuilt again from a cellular level uh, and, or an, even an energetic level up. So, Really, the way you want to view your thoughts in meditation is they're not your enemy. They're not things you're trying to crush, destroy, force to stop, because you won't. You will not succeed. <laughs> you go to war against your thoughts. They keep popping out in all different ways. Instead, the idea is to, rather than being inside the thought, looking out at the world, you step back and you observe it as another phenomena that passes through you. Just the way an itch, you know, you feel an itch, it appears, it stays for some time, maybe you scratch it, it goes away. Thoughts do that. They, they enter. Where do they come from or how are they manifested? That's, I don't know, I don't care. They just appear and then we have a choice of just like stepping back and just observing and going, okay, that's, that's doing its thing. It's just like a cloud passing in front of a window. I can, I can see it's there, but I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'm not going to put my focus into it uh, in this case. Anyway, when I'm meditating, my focus is going to be on my breath, on my belly, on my body or whatever I'm directing my focus to, but I'm never directing my focus towards my thoughts because that is getting back into imagination and cognition and just that aspect of my mind which I spend most of the day using. Uh, so I want to just step away from that and observe something else. Right? So this idea that, that meditation is designed to remove thoughts, I think it puts a lot of people off from meditation uh, because they're like, and I've heard many people say this, I've tried meditation, I'm not good at it. My mind is too, uh, I'm thinking too much, I'm over analytical, I'm really in my head. Right? And those people when they sit down and they try to stop thinking, 
doesn't work. They can't even stop it for a second. And so then they go, okay, well, I'm shit at meditating. I don't like meditating. I and you can justify that by thinking, I'm really, uh, when people say I'm not, I'm not the type of person who's good at meditating, I'm, no one's good at meditating. I don't think so anyway, he's born good at meditating. Uh, when I f did my first 10-day retreat, I was boiling with rage for seven days straight. I wanted to kill everybody and myself included and the monkeys that were jumping on top of the roofs because it was in India. I was not good at meditating. I don't, I don't know many people who are just like natural born meditators. You get better at meditating by practicing it and not expecting that you are going to come into a blissful state, that you're going to just sit there and it's going to feel amazing and that some people do that. Like maybe some people do, I'm certainly not one. Meditation for me, for the most part, has been fairly grueling. It's been unpleasant, it's been boring. And people are like, uh, okay, and why would I do that? Because as well as those things, it's been completely transformative. It's the, the, the one thing that I can, without a shadow of a doubt, attribute most of the big changes in my psyche, my personality, my behavior over the years for the positive has been because of a base of meditation. So, you can forget about that idea of trying to crush your thoughts. You sit, you do your meditation, thoughts come, they go. Sometimes they will loosen and they become, the, uh, there's more space in between them, that's lovely. And you may experience points where there's just silence for a moment before you go, wow, it's silent, ah, and it's not silent anymore. Myth number three is that it takes years to get results from meditation. Luckily, this is not true. Uh, I guess on the flip side, there is also a bit of a myth out there, especially when people are selling products, that it's, takes no time at all and that the results are absolutely instantaneous. I'll deal with that one first. When you, when you hear about these systems where you put binaural beats or, or some kind of theta waves or whatever by plugging something in or listening to something that is apparently going to allow you to have the same results as uh, a monk who's been meditating for decades, then I believe this to be bullshit. <laughs> because even if you have a, something that somehow like changes the waves in your brain so you settle into whatever more uh, conducive meditative brain waves, uh, you are not looking for a specific state in meditation to settle into, right? So if I could switch, you can, you can take drugs which will make you be in a blissful state, right? You can take MDMA or LSD and they, these things will have effects on you where you will uh, settle into certain types of states and they can feel amazing and they can also be terrifying. But that is not the point because the Buddhist monk, so the Zen monk who'd been meditating for 40 years, if you told him, we can make you feel what you feel after 40 years on day one, if he was a good practitioner, he would say, fuck you, I don't want to do that. Because it is the practice of meditation over time that develops a whole lot of aspects of yourself, right? So learning to sit for up to an hour, I mean, that can be very difficult for people, but let's say 20 minutes to start with, uh, is, an, is a challenge, right? It's, it's a physical challenge, it's painful, it's sometimes boring. Uh, your mind gets distracted and goes off in different directions and tries to convince you that you should be doing something else, like looking at a YouTube video about meditation instead of doing it. Uh, and so it's easy, to, very easy to, to get distracted and demoralized, and it is difficult, right? So instantaneous, uh, massive results, I think, are, are unrealistic. But on the other side, the myth that, okay, it's going to take you many years of meditating, you're going to have to become a monk and, uh, to get results, is not true. Because although the like, massive changes in your life uh, don't happen instantaneously, there are instantaneous results when you meditate. They're not necessarily immediately apparent. Right, so if I, if I was to get you to sit down cross-legged, don't have to do crazy lotus postures, and, and say focus on the touch of the air touching your no nostril as it comes in and as it comes out. Right, so you're, you're trying to bring your, your point of focus to just the nostrils and feel the air coming in and out, and that's it. All right, so that's a, that is called anapana, it's breath awareness. It's a very good samadhi meditation or a meditation that helps you to concentrate your mind. Now, 
if you try and do that, you may feel like you may be thinking that, okay, this is not doing anything. I'm just sitting there kind of snorting and trying to feel my nose as I snort. But the truth is, and so that feels like, okay, what, is this meditating? Is it like, I don't feel blissful, I don't feel relaxed. I just, I'm just like bored by thinking about my nose. Now, if you do it like that and you start to rationalize your way out of it, then yeah, you will stop meditating. The moment I'm sitting there thinking about how this sucks and I'm inside those thoughts, I'm not meditating anymore, I'm just thinking. However, if I step back and I allow those thoughts to do their thing, okay, they do their thing, and then I focus on my nostrils, now I'm meditating. And what do I get out of that? What I get is not necessarily what I want, but I get a piece of what I need, which is that if I manage to do that for five minutes, I've developed five minutes of discipline. I am able to sit still, more or less, maybe I fidget or whatever, but I have committed to having a physical and mental discipline, okay? And I'm developing that from the very first time I sit down. Also, I'm getting to experience what is my mind like? Right? Because you don't, most people don't know what their mind is like at all because it's such an untrained animal and it's just going in all of these different directions at once and you're lost inside it and you're imagining, and you're worrying and you're feeding it with constant stimulation from media and gossiping and the world around and so on. And so it's very rare for people to actually sit down and observe like their mind in captivity. <laughs> what, what does your mind do? How does it operate? What thoughts does it ping around to? How does it try to distract you from doing things that you th actually want to do? Uh, how does it manifest in physical sensations? Because that's a, a very interesting thing to start to understand is that our thoughts can create feelings in our body. Right? I mean, you, it's true, you can just think about a really sad thing or a thing that makes you furious and your body will be involved. Right? Fury is not an idea, fury is a full body experience and you can ignite it by thinking certain things or a feeling can turn into a thought an emotion can turn into a, a feeling and so on all right so you start to sit down and observe okay how do i operate this is very very important research because as you get better at this and as you delve deeper into it this will start to give you the keys for transformation right you can't really transform yourself without first understanding how you currently operate and there are patterns. We're not as complex and as interesting as we think we are. We follow patterns over and over again with slight variations and different costumes and whatever, but we, we repeat the same things. We are the way we are, and then when this stimulus happens, we get angry, we get sad, we get uh, excited, we get horny, whatever. It's like, it's pretty predictable how we're gonna react once you start to sit and observe. Right, so that, that is invaluable information. That is an amazing research, right? So you get that instantly, and then, in your early days, like if you did 20 minutes of dedicated meditation per day, as well as learning how to do micro meditations, which is what I teach in the martial meditation method, uh, which is a way to use a present moment to reset yourself back into presence. Okay, so if I took this moment now and I stood and I just really focused on my feet and feeling the sensations of the heat and listening to the bum talking to himself on the bench over there and immersed myself in this situation just for a moment, that affects me. Right? That's, a, that's a little number of seconds where I've decided to rally my attention, my resources internally to observe myself. And it's those kinds of things that can uh, mean the difference between being stressed out all day and being chilled. Right? And I do those kinds of micro meditations dozens of times a day. I just take one breath and really focus on it. Uh, you know, I spend 10 seconds observing the sensations in my body. I do a mini version of a stretching routine and so on. You know, in these ways, I'm bringing meditation practice into my daily life. Uh, whether or not I end up sitting down and on a cushion and doing hardcore real meditation, that will, of course, that's, we, we're accelerating things and you're going to get a lot more results. But learning to integrate aspects of meditation into your daily life starts to make your life a meditation.
And what does that mean? It means that you actually get to experience your life rather than thinking about it. You get to experience it rather than remembering what it used to be like and thinking about what it might be like. You get to be here now, which is the only place you can be, uh, <clears throat> but you get to experience it at a much more vibrant kind of frequency. So meditation, yes, it delivers results from the day that you start. And they're not the blissful, wow, I'm one with the universe, usually. They're like, oh, I've got pain in my knee and I get irritated when, you know, this thought comes up in my mind and now I'm observing how that process works. And now, using meditation, I'm allowing myself to step back from it and not react so much, right? Because let's say you're someone who is prone to irritability. You get irritated easily and you're meditating and something irritates you. If you can step back and observe that a little bit and notice that you, instead of going to a 10 of irritation where you want to write a mean comment on a YouTube channel or you know, punch an old person or whatever, instead it's a nine or it's an eight, right? The irritation is, is lessened because you're not feeding it so much. You're not in there with the thoughts going, yeah, fucking things that make me irritated. You're just like, okay, I feel the irritation and I'm not even gonna call it irritation anymore. I'm just gonna observe it as a bunch of sensations and there's some correlating thoughts and a feeling or something, but I'm just gonna sit there and let it wash through me as if I'm like a sea sponge and things are just moving through me then it doesn't have so much power. And that's really powerful. That's where your meditation is worth its fucking weight in gold. It's not about becoming a Buddha and feeling blissful. It's like, cool, I can change things about myself that are not effective. I can be not so angry or, or so impatient. I can actually learn to relish and enjoy my life at a much uh, simpler and more wonderful and enjoyable level. Number four, meditation is self-absorbed escapism. I remember when I first came back from my first 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat and I told my mum about it. I said, oh yeah, I went to this, this retreat center in the forest and we, for 10 days we were silent and just practiced meditation. And she said, oh, that must have been a nice break. <laughs> like as if it was a holiday. Uh, and I said, no, it wasn't a nice break at all, mum. It was actually really, really difficult. And I think probably a, a lot of the reason why people don't dabble in meditation is because they perceive it to be a waste of time. It's like if you've got that much time to sit contemplating your navel and thinking about yourself, then shouldn't you be doing out helping starving children or something, doing something more effective with your time? Uh, and isn't this just all about you? It's like an ego thing where I'm just so fascinated by myself, I just have to sit there with myself all the time. Uh, could it be this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, people can become super self-absorbed. Uh, and I have seen people who have used meditation for escapism, right? So in retreat centers where I've gone for 10 days and I've met people there who've been there for months or not, if not years. And sometimes that's awesome. You can see that they are really dedicated meditators, that they are gunning for deep level change and deep level insights. Uh, and for other people, it's a, it is an escape. It's like they're running away from, some, from the real world because they can't handle the real world because they can't you know, get their shit together or pay their bills or whatever. And so sometimes people just disappear into kind of monastic traditions to escape from that. But for the most part, like actual meditation is, is the opposite of escapism. Going to a movie theater, jacking off to porn, uh, sitting there imagining things, that, that is escapism, right? Getting drunk and getting high and gambling and all these, all these things that we uh, as humans tend to get involved with are escapism. And I think it's important that we do have valves for escapism. It's not a coincidence that every single culture on the planet that can create some kind of mind-altering substance or trance practices because people get sick of being inside their normal brains all the time and they want to escape from that and get high or uh, wander off into imagination or whatever. 
and that's fine. I think that's just part of the human condition and it's fine to do that occasionally. Of course, if it's addictive or it's destroying your life or you're always distracted, that's no good. But there's, there's a room for us to have these kinds of valves. However, real meditation is the opposite of escapism because it's not projecting you out into the future or the past or into an imaginary space. It is drawing, drawing you painfully, brutally uh, into the present moment and to experience all that that is. Right, so when you, when you meditate, either taking dedicated time out in your day or in retreats, uh, or if it's a combination of that with micro meditations or, or, or daily action meditations, each time we're, we're affecting our mind to bring our mind into that type of focus, we are not escaping. We are here, right? I can't escape from the fact that I'm here, alive, breathing, feeling sensations, observing the mechanisms of my mind and, and, and like very vigilantly to observe, oh, okay, that's where that thought process is now trying to take me over and make it think that, and make me think that that's me. And I get, and it, we all do this. We get lost into a reverie or into some kind of, uh, you know, having that argument in your head with that person and, and all that stuff. This is us escaping from the, the true reality of the true nature of this present moment and getting into something else. So real meditation is about realism. It's about practicality. It's a tool for life that you use in this mega city, you know, with people, in your job, dealing with the issues day to day that a human has to face. Now, if you want to be someone who goes and takes longer periods of time out from the, from the rat race or from the modern world and, and dedicate your time to meditating, I highly recommend doing that. I've done five, six, seven, ten day retreats of different traditions and I've gone off into the jungle in the Amazon for weeks at a time and worked on shamanism. I've gone to this year, I was in China for a month studying martial arts. If you're in a really hectic space, which many of us are, my life is in totally insane. I, I move countries every week. I, I have no schedule. My sleep cycles are all over the place. I'm going from like super intense, high intensity, stressful work to suddenly not having any work. Uh, so my life is all over the place by design. And part of that design is I know I have to take a couple of weeks out, at least a year, to settle back into the realities. Because when I'm at super pace, when I'm out coaching a workshop or I'm traveling a lot, often that, that wire speeds things up and I, and I notice my mind goes off into, uh, into imagination and I'm not super present all the time. And I have to constantly reapply these methods martial meditation methods daily and multiple, many, many times throughout the day to keep myself on an even keel to deal with the intensity and the craziness that I'm, I'm doing. And then, at least once a year, I'll take myself out of everything away from humans, most humans anyway, and go and work on being hyper real, hyper present, hyper yes, this is me alive and experiencing things and starting to work through stuff that maybe has uh, piled up over the months when I haven't been super conscious of things that I need to process. As humans, especially when you put yourself under heaps of pressure to succeed, a lot of the guys I work with or speak to are ambitious young men who are trying to fucking make their mark in the world, go out there, hustle, get pussy, make it, fucking conquer the world, which is great, do it, but that is also a trap, right? If, if, you're, if your life is about ambition, you're never really there because you're always moving towards the next goal. Sometimes that makes people really effective in achieving goals, but it makes them not so effective in, in enjoying them, <laughs> enjoying the, the fruits of their labor or in just enjoying the process of moving towards your goals. Uh, I'm someone who's set goals and achieved them dozens of times in my life, and when I think back, the achievement of it is nice, but it's always the process and the, the strategy and the struggle that led me up to there, that that's the thing where I really felt most alive. So being a good meditator is not being an escapist. It is being a realist. It's about having tools for living your life better, not for escaping your life.
Myth number five is that you need a master, a real-life master, and preferably an enlightened one, to teach you meditation for it to be worthwhile. That's not true anymore. It actually used to be true, even in my lifetime. When I was first uh, investigating spirituality and meditation, I read whatever books were I could find at secondhand bookstores and trying to cobble together some ideas. And I remember meeting, reading some dodgy Hare Krishna book that had some instruction on how to do some mantra. And I was like sitting there saying this mantra to myself and feeling very confused. And so I went on a long journey around the world to find teachers that could teach me real meditation. I was, when I was 18, I, I went and worked on a farm for six months and then me and my friend John traveled around India and Indonesia, Thailand, and my mission was to try and find good masters because I really, really wanted to learn to meditate. It was really important to me at that stage. And so I went to all different ashrams and I went and heard different masters speak. And uh, I remember in India, I met this guy in the street who told me he was a yogic master and he looked like one. You know, he had the beard and the beads and, you know, the dots and stuff. And uh, he took me out into the forest and showed me what I now know to be like Instagram basic, basic yoga. <laughs> it was like really basic stuff. And then charged me 300 bucks for it, which was a lot for me back then. Uh, so, you know, I've met various charlatans and scammers and, and people who thought that they were spiritual teachers and, and had a lot of ego and pride around that. Uh, and, then, and then I came across some good traditions. I ended up in Shaolin Temple, finding the last true masters there. Uh, I went and studied uh, in Australia with a, with a really amazing master. And I, was, I wasn't a disciple of his, but I was a follower of this, of this man for a number of years. And he was very charismatic, very uh, switched on, a powerful teacher. But when I look back on that time, I feel like the progression I made with my meditation was actually much faster uh, and more powerful when I was just doing a, a simple set of meditation tools that I'd learnt well. I knew that they worked, they were, that it was a good system, and then I just did it and then dealt with the issues that came along. And then sometimes I needed to go and ask help of other people I knew who were good at meditating or, or seek out some teacher to, to clarify something. But when I think back to the time when I was hanging around with this master a lot, I think I was more concerned about whether he liked me. I was more interested in getting his like spiritual validation than I was in actually progressing. Like I, I became invested in being part of this tradition of, of this group of people and being around this very, very charismatic leader. Uh, he wasn't a cult leader, but he, it, he had some of those tendencies and, and you really wanted to have his approval and to, for him to say, yeah, yeah, you're doing well and you're on the right path. And I feel like that was actually a bit of a distraction from, from, the, from the point of what I was trying to do. Yeah, okay, I was learning, I was, I was part of a community and I was developing friends and it was a positive community of people who were really trying to change themselves. But my, the real change happened for me when I just went, all right, you just sit, you go on meditation retreats, but you don't talk to anyone, you just fucking sit. And then when you're going about your daily business, you integrate meditation into your life. So these days, uh, because of the wealth of information that's out there, it's not necessary to go to the Himalayas or China or wherever and find a, a special guru and, and submit yourself to them. That used to be the way all, all spiritual traditions worked, that you had to go and more or less devote yourself for life to the master in exchange for them passing on their wisdom. Uh, in Shaolin Temple, you used to, guys would come and wait outside, you know, bowing their heads outside the temple for weeks before a monk might pop them heads out and go, eh, another week, see if he really wants it. Uh, and I had a little taste of that going to, to Shaolin Temple. I, you know, I, I went to the temple and submitted myself and he went, nah, right, let's start tomorrow morning. So I got <laughs> the short version of that. But the reality being is you don't, you don't need that, 
right? If you have a good system for meditating, you don't need a charismatic leader. And it's a lot of people get lost in that. They go off and they enter weird cults, or they they're they're they're, they're addicted to their guru. Because people who are elevated spiritually, or they they're, they're vibrating at a high frequency, or they're super present, right? Someone who is not distracted in any way and who is able to hold absolute presence, they can feel magical. Like when you're around that person, it feel you can they're emanating something and so it's easy to think well that person's enlightened or this person is is a, is a saint and I need to follow them and find out and I need to be around them all the time because you feel good around them uh, and that's not a bad thing to do to go and seek out various teachers you know there's the hugging mama apparently who you go and hug her and it feels amazing I'll do that if she's in town I'll go and hug her why not but to follow her around to get the bliss of the hugs every day is not really spiritual pursuit it's the pursuit of elevated sensations or like blissful sensations which sometimes are, are happen when you're meditating but they're not important anyone who's chasing bliss or chasing this transcendent feeling you're in the you're in the wrong space because I think real meditation is about experiencing life and life is pain life is hard life is boring life is inspiring life is sexy life is delicious life is fucked life is all these things and good meditation systems will allow you to experience all of that and not be thrown by it so much right not to be thrown into depression when bad things happen not to be giddy with excitement and, and elation when amazing things happen and then be addicted to that and need that in your life all the time right the uh, real real meditation allows you to move through your life and live it in a more artful way to get the juice out of it to be able to move through tragedies it doesn't mean you're not going to be upset when your mum dies but it's like you'll be able to move through these things and they won't destroy yourself and you won't be thrown into years and years of depression for example so for me that's what that's the the power and the and the the use of meditation is not about guru worship it's not about uh, escapism it's not about experiencing blissful states if you want to do that just take drugs once a year and go well that's fine um, it's about the raw experience of humanity stripped gradually of all the conditioning right because when you meditate you if you do it well you get below the conditioning because if you're not involved in the thinking as I said you can't force it to stop but you can be not involved in it you can just be a witness then you can start getting underneath that because all the thoughts and all the feelings a lot of that's conditioned a lot of that's cultural a lot of that's from your childhood a lot of that's bad habits you've practiced over time meditation is a good habit to start unraveling things that, don't, that are not you to start removing layers of masks and this is why it's such a powerful tool in terms of seduction and, and meeting women and interacting with women uh, some seduction techniques help you to put more masks on, you know, use this technique, pretend to be this, act like this, and then you get less, you get further away from your true nature. When you, when you meditate well, you can st start being there with a girl and not needing to prove yourself or to uh, pretend you're amazing or to impress her. You can just be there with her and that's a little bit of the taste of the feeling that you get when you're around a really powerful guru is that if you're like that, if you're able to be present with someone, then they feel that. You're emanating, and what are you emanating? You're emanating the ability to enjoy being here right now. And so you're, and then when you translate that into seduction, you're inviting the girl to come over here and enjoy being her alive right now here with you. Right, so all of the foundation of my seduction technology is based around meditation. It's the first principle, and it's why my upcoming product, the Martial Meditation Method, uh, is the most popular course that I've ever released, which was kind of surprising to me. When I first started releasing products, released five principles which is like the magnum opus of seduction did really well but the MMM when I released it that sells all the time people buying it uh, since then asking me when it's gonna be released uh, and, you know wanting to get back into the live courses and it's, it was the most popular thing ever it's because I think everyone who is a little bit conscious right someone who doesn't want to layer masks want to, wants to work out ways to become more their authentic self they want to learn how to uh, dissolve anxieties to not be 
dictated to by your fears and worries about what other people are thinking about you or what this girl's going to think about you and so on. So to be able to come to a point of being at ease with yourself, that's what being cool is. If you're cool, it's not about the sunglasses or, or doing this or anything. It's about being at ease with yourself. That's why people want to be around cool people until they realize that it was just the sunglasses and they're like, oh, he's not really cool. The person that's really cool is the person that's just okay with himself, that's at ease, that's enjoying being themselves. And for me, that's been a lifelong process of not enjoying being myself, not really enjoying, uh, not really liking myself, to over years of self-introspection, meditation, and of course, going out in the world and testing myself against it through social freedom and seduction and travel and business and all this shit, uh, that I now like myself. And that's an awesome achievement. I, I think that's probably the best achievement of my life. Now that I think of it, I actually like myself. Cool. Uh, and so should you. you know, Self-love, self-acceptance uh, comes from self-analysis first and foremost. Right? So if you're a man who wants to take this journey deeper, and, it's, and in some ways shallower as well. It's like right now I feel pretty present. It's not a deep state, I'm not in deep trance, but I'm like, yeah, I'm really here right now because I've been focusing on my breath and my speech and my, my sensations and I feel electrically alive right now. And that's me getting deeper into, I guess, immersing myself into the moment more. Right? So if you're a man who doesn't want to just like learn a few tricks to pick up chicks and then go back to being an unconscious uh, slave to your desires and your distractions for the rest of your life, then having some kind of meditative pursuit, which doesn't have to be sectarian, spirit, spiritual really, religious, uh, it doesn't have to have any bells and whistles, you can wear a suit and sit down and meditate, doesn't matter. You can be a Satanist and you can meditate, probably. <clears throat> then I highly encourage you to check out my course and this is a five-week live course so each week you will be receiving instructions in the meditation so I teach you guys awareness meditation concentrated meditation embodiment abdominal breathing sexual stamina increasing meditations uh, a whole bunch of tools that I have picked up over my years of travel from going to China and India and finding various masters around the world I've learned a lot of different systems and these are the ones that are the simplest don't require any ideology and they work. They work now to be more relaxed, to be present, to be in flow, and especially in relation to women, allows you to have much better spontaneity and to read the situation, right? The, the truth about what makes a good seducer is a man who moves forward with his desire and then calibrates and adjusts in response to her response, right? And in order to do that, a lot, people can like charge forward with their desire without being too aware but you're going to hit roadblocks because the girl's going to go, whoa, too fast, or that's not the way I like it, or whatever. And in order for you to navigate to be able to communicate well, you're going to need to be able to read her. And I can read someone's complexion change. I can read the slight changes in their, in their posture, the uh, insinuations underneath what they're saying, because I'm super observant, because I practice meditating. Because I'm not up in my head so much, I've got more space to be able to observe this and to then to read, read things more accurately. So, if you want to find out the best way, uh, the most effective, practical and simple ways to meditate, stay tuned for the launch of Marshall Meditation Method. James Marshall, signing out. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural, Natural Lifestyles, Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The, the Natural, Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.